Are we ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Hey, I'm Ellie. And I'm Heidi. And we are the Moms Moms in in the the middle. Middle. Two Midwest moms talking about the nuances of pregnancy, birth, and parenting in our modern world. There is so much perceived polarization between the different decisions we make in early parenthood. Home birth versus hospital birth formula versus breast milk, and sleep training versus co-sleeping. But most of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. From choosing the right provider for your birth to picking a preschool for your toddler, we are going to talk about how we weigh different opinions and follow our intuition to make the right choices for us. There's no right way to parent, and every family has different goals, values, and support. Let's meet in the middle and chat about it. Okay, got it. Welcome, everybody, to Moms in the Middle this week. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Yeah, hey, Heidi. We're so excited to have – yeah, hey, Ellie. I was <laughs> – um, we just released our episode, our spicy episode, and I was listening to it back yesterday. It was so good, and so I hope everybody goes and listens to it. I feel like it's such an important topic, um, but I always love listening back to our conversations when I edit. Yeah. Yeah, I was giggling a little bit listening to it this morning. Um, (laughs) It just made me laugh in the beginning. We were talking about opening presents and stuff. It just made me me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, it's it's a good one. Yeah, it is really good. And thank you, Bethany, for for coming on. She's such a wealth of information. It was it was really fun. But I but this week we're gonna talk about a doula topic because we haven't done like a doula advice topic in a really long time. Gosh, I feel like we only have done one in our induction episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's that was the last one that I could think of that we've done. So yeah. of course it's sprinkled in throughout, you know, our, our viewpoints as doulas, but yeah, naturally. But um, yeah, yeah, I think the induction episode was the last one and it has, it has done really well. So I know I think it's time. Yeah, it's such a, honestly, we should do more because it's so great to refer clients back to those resources also. Like, you know, when we get questions about that stuff, like I've referred clients to our induction episode mm-hmm. so many times. And so we just thought we should make another doula episode of something that we talk about a lot as doulas to our clients that the people who, you know, aren't our clients can also get that information. And then also we can, we can send people to this episode also. So do you want to introduce our topic? It was Ellie's idea. (laughs) Yes. So this is a topic that kind of, honestly, in our induction episode, we kind of alluded to. And I talk to just about everyone about it. So we are talking today about advocacy um, Mm -hmm. during pregnancy, but also in labor and birth and how to navigate that um, in a collaborative way with healthcare professionals and your team and kind of building a good support system and what that can look like. And so, yeah, we're just going to dive into what advocacy is. Yeah, and this is so important to talk about, not just in birth, but the motherhood space. It's something I see so many people of our clients, especially our first-time parents, so uncomfortable with speaking up for themselves, asking questions because they don't want to come off as rude or the problem Mm -hmm. patient or something like that. But especially, you know, if you're listening to this in another country, maybe it's different for you, especially in America, our healthcare system is it's not that we have all these 
horrible doctors and nurses with bad intentions. It's that we do we have insurance companies running everything. We have no time, yes. limited amounts of money and resources. And so these doctors and nurses, a lot of times their hands are tied by policies, procedures, um, you know, 10 minute appointments that they have with you because they have another person that they only get paid for 10 minutes to spend with you. And then they have another person 10 minutes later, they have to go into the next room. And so it really, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, falls on us to push and advocate for ourselves in especially a hospital birth environment. I know even in home birth, of course, there's room for advocacy, but you are paying out of pocket in a home birth typically, and midwives have a little bit more time for their appointments and stuff because of that and to do a lot more self-education. But especially since we focus a lot on hospital birth, um, you know, we see a lot of times these very rushed spaces and you need to yourself push to have the time and space to gather information and help yourself make these decisions. Yeah. And advocacy does not equal confrontation always. It doesn't have to be confrontational, which I think is kind of like you said, everyone's mind automatically goes to this like really uncomfortable conversation that they're going to have to have and they're going to have to fight, fight, fight. And it's not that. It's literally just advocating for what you know is, you know, in your best interest, in your baby's best interest, in your family's best interest. Um, Because you have that at the forefront of your mind always. And, you know, everyone outside of you, yes, they're there to advocate for you as well. And they want you to be safe and healthy and all the things, but they're not going to prioritize it as much as you do, you know? Yeah. You will always prioritize that more. Yeah. And in the end, like you have intuition and your gut. Mm -hmm. I just saw a dual post about this, about how like she tells people like the biggest tool they have is their intuition, like as a parent. So we can take Mm -hmm. all of the resources available to us to gather information. And then we have to check in with our gut and our intuition and try to make the decision that feels right for us. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people understand. I have now been to so I've been to a lot of births as a doula and the amount of differing information of different practices amongst different doctors, different hospitals, different patients, you know, depending on what nurse you have and what mood the doctor is in that day or, you know, what hospital you're at. There's so many differing practices that there is so much room for personal choice in birth and in pregnancy. And a lot of people, I think, go in with this, you know, of I believe in medicine and science and mindset, which like we do too. We're very like, we're very grateful for modern medicine and science and all the education that these doctors have and time these doctors have put in to being able to give you their well-educated opinion. We are not diminishing that at all because neither of us want to be doctor. Well, I don't know about, I guess you were in the medical field. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want <laughs> no. to do all the education and put in all the work and, and do the medical side of birth. But birth is not just a medical event. And historically, it's never been a medical event until we started you know, medical interventions in for comfort and for life-saving measures and stuff for people in labor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's so much space for you to ask these questions because your doctor might have a generalized recommendation, but that doesn't mean that there aren't four other options that are also completely valid and safe options for you to pursue during your labor and your birth. But a lot of people 
don't ask the questions, don't advocate for themselves. And so something, maybe your, your doctor is giving you a recommendation and it doesn't feel right to you, but you just say, oh, they're the doctor, they know best. But you are the parent and you know your body and your baby best also. It's just your, it's just your responsibility to gather that information and then ask the questions, know your options, make the choice that's best for you. Yeah, and I think that's why we are so passionate about this topic because we've heard the stories um, where people didn't feel like they could ask or they didn't know what to ask Mm -hmm. or they just did what their provider recommended because they didn't want to like ruffle any feathers or anything like that. But then they end up with so much trauma and their mental health Mm -hmm. declines and they've got all these things to process through afterwards when really, you know, we know that some of that's, you know, you can't avoid it all, but, you know, had they just known their options and been able to Mm -hmm. ask and had the tools to ask the advocacy skills, they would have had so much less and such a better, better experience. And I think that's why we're so passionate about it because we want everyone to have good experiences. And we hear all the stories where they things didn't go the way they wanted them to. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and what we hate to hear as a doula is, I wish I would have known like mm-hmm. after the fact. So it's one thing to like know all of your options that are available to you and then pick one and then that and then that not be like the you know hindsight's twenty twenty of you looking back and being like oh, I really wish I chose this other option. I really wish I did that. Cause you don't know, like everything, you know, it's not, it's not black and white. Like there's gray and there's different things that can happen. And you can say, oh, I really wish I didn't get my water broken. Cause maybe this would have happened. Like you can do the what ifs, but it's one thing to look back and like, know that you have those options and you made the best choice for yourself in that moment with the information mm-hmm. you did have. That leads to a lot less regret than looking back and being like, I didn't know what questions to ask, what options. I didn't know that I could tell the doctor no. Like that's a lot harder to swallow when you're looking back at like a maybe a traumatic birth or something than looking back and being like, I truly felt like I made the best decision and had resources and support. Maybe it wasn't my ideal outcome, but I had that support and help there and I knew what to ask and how to get that. Um, and I don't feel like I made any wrong decisions or could have educated myself more or something like that. I always want people to come from that space because that's the saddest thing to me as a doula is people mm-hmm. saying, you know, coming to me after a traumatic birth and being like, after my traumatic birth, I did all the education and looked at the resources and everything and said, oh my gosh, that's why this happened because I didn't do any of this and I didn't know these options and I didn't have this education before the birth. Um, And so, yeah, so we're just going to chat about how you do non-confrontational advocacy techniques. Um, It's a skill that we've all, that we've had to learn as doulas because I don't know about your, I know you did a doula training through a different organization than me, but almost all doula trainings tell you that you should not advocate for your clients, that it is, so yours, yeah, so that's what you learned too originally. Yeah, I mean, it was more so you should not speak for your clients, which I think we do, you know, even in our practice as it is as it has evolved, you know, we try not to speak for our clients as long as they oh, are yeah, able. Totally. Um, but, you know, it definitely didn't say you can't advocate for them. Like my organization okay. is very much about advocacy, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a little bit different than a lot of doula training organizations. 
Yeah, I don't know if mine ever said, like, don't advocate for your clients, but I heard mm-hmm. that from a lot of doulas as I was doing my training of, like, you sure. should not advocate for your clients. That's not your right. I heard one doula, like, say to – one doula said to me once, like, I – didn't do my role. I didn't do my role as a doula if my client gets to their birth and doesn't feel like they can advocate for themselves. And the reason why I disagree with that is because you can be the most strongest, empowered person in the whole entire world who can speak up for yourself. But once you get to your birth, um, you are not in that thinking brain. You are not in that logical brain. You can easily kind of go into this fawn effect of like you are in a vulnerable space and there's people Mm -hmm. like doing things around you and who are in control of like you seemingly in control of your body and stuff like if you're having epidural and like all that stuff that it's very hard to speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself in those moments and that's why it's so important as doulas to be able to advocate for yourself and I personally had a few kind of traumatic experiences as a doula where I was like I didn't feel like I had the skills to like speak up for what I was seeing as like obstetrical abuse happening to my clients. And that's really when I turned around and was like, this isn't going to work either. I'm going to learn how to advocate for my clients inside of a birth space, or I'm not going to be a doula anymore because I can't take like just sitting around and watching bad things happen to people and not having the skills to speak up for them and defend them in the situation. Yeah. And I do think it's really important. I know that I focus um, with our clients, but then my clients outside of our um, practice that, you know, I focus a lot on advocacy skills throughout pregnancy and in that third trimester when they're navigating conversations with their providers and stuff like that. Because when you are in that vulnerable vulnerable place, if you haven't practiced that, Mm -hmm. then you are just like, I don't know what to say. I have no idea. Like, I'm just going to go with whatever they tell me to do because you haven't practiced it. And I think that goes also for, you know, hiring a doula early on in pregnancy is so beneficial Mm -hmm. because you have that person to kind of guide you through those conversations as they come up and you can practice alongside somebody else, you know, Mm -hmm. who is trained and is a professional um, practice alongside them throughout your pregnancy. And then when it comes down to it, you do feel more confident in navigating the conversations. But obviously for people that didn't know or hired a doula later on or don't have a doula or whatever, it's just, yeah, it can be so difficult. Um, yeah. So yeah, hopefully this episode is is helpful. It is like a muscle you have to flex and really get used to and and think of it, you know, we'll we'll get into actual advocacy techniques in a moment, but <laughs> think of it think of it as like this is a this is a journey into parenthood. If this is your first baby, like you are going to need to advocate for your child in life. You are going to have mm-hmm. to advocate for your own health and your child's health and um when they're dealing with bullies in school, you're going to have to help teach them these skills. Like it's a, you know, for all my people pleasers out there, it's so important that you take back some control over your life um, and find that confidence in yourself. And this is one way that you can start exercising that muscle and practicing that because it's so important as a parent to be like your child's advocate. If you're not doing it for yourself, do it for 
your child, you know, and everything and, and learn that for your family. I think it's so beneficial to so, to so many things in life as you practice it and get more comfortable with, um, with advocating for yourself. And, you know, like probably all of our grandmothers used to say, you catch more flies with honey. So like a lot of these things are, you're going to be kind and you're going to be considerate of other people's feelings and what they're going through, or you're going to be considerate of the fact that the nurse has hospital policy and her boss is like telling her this is how she needs to practice and stuff. Like you're going to be kind and considerate about that, but you're also going to like hold firm in what you want or, um, or advocate for yourself to get your questions answered um, and things like that, along with being kind and considerate. Yeah, and you're also going to be considerate of what they bring to the table, the knowledge, the Mm -hmm. experience, their expertise. You're going to be, you know, considerate and thoughtful of like, okay, yes, they do bring all of this that I don't have to the table, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that they know, you know, exactly what's best for me. You know, you can't just take one person's recommendation or one person's opinion. Um, You really have to take all of the all of the things and put it together to formulate your own thoughts Mm -hmm. and opinions um, and preferences around everything. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's (laughs) jump in. (laughs) Okay. So, do we want to jump in? Yeah. So do we want to jump into um, kind of informed decision-making and some tools that we teach our clients about in navigating that conversation? Does that? Yeah. You go ahead. You start with your little spiel about informed consent that you give people at the beginning (laughs) of childbirth education. We'll start, we'll start with there and then I'll, I'll kind of go into some, some other stuff. Okay, so when we break down informed consent, it really is pretty, like, self-explanatory, you know? Like, you should feel like you have um, both sides of the coin where you have the There is the always risk. two sides. There, you know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's very obvious once you hear the two sides which one is more beneficial than mm-hmm. the other one. But there's always two sides to interventions in pregnancy. Absolutely. Birth. Absolutely. So you should feel like you're – Uh, provider or whoever you're talking to is giving you both sides of the coin, you should um, feel like you have the time and the space to gather information and ask questions and formulate your own thoughts around whatever the intervention is at hand that you're talking about. Um, And you should feel respected and supported in whichever decision you make. Um, And basically, if you have all the opposites of that and you feel like you're getting biased answers or one-sided answers um, and you're, you're feeling rushed and you feel like you're being pressured into making a decision and you're not given the time and space, then you're not giving informed consent. And those are just red flags that you really need to take a step back and start kind of going through the steps of navigating that conversation, looking deeper and gathering more information so you can feel good and confident about the decision that you're that you're making. Absolutely, yeah. And um and I highly recommend that if early on in pregnancy you're feeling like like all those things Ellie mentioned, especially if you feel like a doctor is talking down to you and not giving that power and decision making back to you and kind of being like, 
I'm the expert here. I know what I'm doing. Listen to me kind of energy. Um, You're picking up on those vibes. It's never too late to switch providers. And there are so many kind, caring providers that I have seen, you know, clients making what I felt like were not good decisions. And yet their provider is still sitting at their bedside, calmly talking to them, explaining, you know, why they're recommending other, you know, other things that I'm on board with the doctor with, but they're still being so patient and kind and considerate to my clients' wishes and trying to have those full-out conversations with them. There are so many doctors like that out there. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I know some people live in kind of like maternity care deserts. Not everybody lives in a major city like we do, but I think that it's worth even looking at another doctor in the practice because even if that doctor that you don't like might be on call for the day of your birth, having good prenatal care and having somebody that you can talk to during your pregnancy is so important to the health of you and your baby and making those final decisions at the end of pregnancy about how you're going to end your pregnancy and give birth and all of those things. I was saying it's so important. And a common acronym, I'm sure lots of people have heard this before, but I always think everybody has heard it. And then like, you know, and then I say it and then it's like, you know, I've just said it so many times that it's like, you know, like everybody must know it at this point because of how many times I've said it. Um, And I think think it feels so simple. Yeah, a very easy acronym <laughs> to just and for you to run through and to to determine if you're getting all of the information is the brain acronym, which is brain. B is benefits. R is risks. A is alternatives. I is intuition. So what is your intuition telling you? And N is nothing. What happens if we do nothing? So that's kind of a good thing for you to run through when you're making these decisions. And also when you're talking to your doctor about different interventions or tests or or things like that, you can run through that and be like, did they give me the benefits? Did they give me the risks? Did they give me the alternatives? Did I check in with my intuition and then ask questions based on how is my intuition feeling about all this? What And then did we talk to them about what happens if I do nothing? Um, What happens if I don't do any of this? And I think the one that – and we've mentioned this before, but I think the one that people struggle with a lot is the intuition. And so Mm -hmm. the way I explain that is how are you feeling when that conversation comes up? Are you Mm -hmm. excited about it? Are you like relieved? Are you nervous? Are you anxious? Is your heart racing? Are your hands sweaty? Like those are the things that you have to kind of tune into with your body to Mm -hmm. figure out what your intuition is telling you. Mm -hmm. And then the other one that I think is super, super important that a lot of people don't realize they can do is nothing. (laughs) Like yeah. What if we wait? What if we just say, no, not right now. Come back to me in an hour. Come back to me in a week. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel like because the provider is standing right there at that moment that they have to make a decision right then. And more often than not, you don't unless you or your baby's at risk and it's an emergent situation. If everyone is still healthy and doing well, you can always, always, always come back to this after you've had a and chance that's where to step away. Cl- that's usually where it's a clear decision. If, if you say, what mm-hmm. happens if I do nothing? And it's like, well, you or your baby might, you know, not make it. Then it's like a clear decision of like, yeah. okay, well, then I'm going to go forward with this. But it helps you get clarity 
because some people don't even realize, like I see some people refusing medical interventions that I feel like are dangerous for them to refuse. And so some people Mm -hmm. don't even realize what the risks are. And so it comes down to getting that, that full, that full picture of what are the risks? What happens if I do nothing? Um, you know, because maybe you are scared of that intervention, but the alternative is scarier. So it, it goes mm-hmm. both ways, not just refusing medical interventions, but also accepting medical interventions. Um, and something that, you know, I don't think, I think you're right of a lot of people see the provider in front of them. The amount of people I've had to tell, like, you don't have to schedule an induction date because your provider is right in front of you saying, hey, let's get an induction date on the calendar. And the amount of people, the clients that I've had that have taken the time, gone home, talk to me about what an induction is going to look like, talk to their, just even talk to their spouse about, do we want to do this? And then mm-hmm. make it, and then they call, they're like, oh yeah, you can call my office anytime and schedule it. It's like, yeah, yeah. you can go home. You can have the time to think about it. And then if you decide you want to move forward, you can call the office or you can call and schedule a time to talk to me this like later this week about it. If you have questions or something, there is a lot of room for going outside of, those appointment times, but you just have to have to ask for it. Yeah. There's also room to change your mind. So Mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you get caught up in the moment and you say, okay, I'll schedule my induction and then you go home and you talk to your significant other or your doula or whoever it is that you're talking through these things with and you change your mind, it's okay to cancel it, you know, like, or, or not, not show, show up. up. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's something that feels really uncomfortable to a lot of people because, you know, as a society, we're like, okay, it's an appointment. You show up to your mm-hmm. appointment with your provider and you yeah. don't just not show up, you know? And um, so I think that's another thing that I always encourage people. It's like, you can always change your mind. You choose not to get a membrane sweep one day and the next mm-hmm. day you decide you want one go for it, you know? <laughs> yep. And what did, okay, on Meg's episode, she used this uh, Schitt's Creek quote of nobody thinks about you the way you think about you. And so I have uh-huh. to tell, explain that to clients so much of like, if you're worried about being the problem patient, you're not the problem patient. Like I promise right. you, there are so many people who have so much disregard and disrespect for people's time and energy and, you know, and stuff that they're putting into it's- their- their birth. Yeah. Um, it's not a big deal. And worst case scenario is that maybe a nurse goes to the nurse's station and rolls their eyes at another nurse. <laughs> That's like worst case scenario. And worst case scenario on the other side is you having a traumatic birth experience that you look back on with regret for the rest of your life. And it's like one of the right. biggest days of your life is the day you meet your baby. And so you really need to put it in perspective of how important it is for you to feel in control and like and like you made those decisions for yourself during your birth versus caring if a nurse or doctor is kind of like, this person keeps calling a call bell and asking questions, like whatever. And then they're going to go home mm-hmm. and they're going to forget about you the next day when they have another another patient the exactly. next day. Like you really have to put put it into perspective. And I do that too. I, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, this is a once in a lifetime event, like yep. huge life event that is going to stick with you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. for you. It is not that for your nursing staff, for your provider. Now, yes, like it's another day at work. (laughs) 
Yeah, like there might be yeah. bits and pieces of your birth that do stick with them or you might really like mesh well with them and so you have a lifetime bond or whatever. I mean, that mm-hmm. happens, but like in the grand scheme, like this is not going to affect them the way it affects you. And yeah. while that sounds harsh sometimes, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> it's true. And so you no, have to really is. think about that when you're like, oh, this this conversation, I don't want to have this conversation. It feels really uncomfortable. Okay, well, this is going to stick with you the rest of your life and it does not affect mm-hmm. them the way that it is going to affect you. Yeah. So I think that's exactly. really a really important perspective to have when okay. navigating so- stuff like this. So informed decision making, I feel like we've we've got that down. What does it even look like? Now let's talk about in the birth space. People are coming at you, things are happening, and you need to create space to make informed decision making to think through this. One that one that I don't think is talked about enough that we already kind of mentioned on is asking to wait. Um, even, you know, in somewhat urgent situations you know a true emergency in birth is actually pretty rare Um, I don't think a Mm -hmm. lot of people realize that even like emergency c-sections almost every like emergency c-section I have been a part of has 10 to 15 minutes to think through and make the decision Um, it's very very rare that it's like a right now you know rushing to the OR whatever like it's you know go 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 (laughs) into the into the um into the OR and so usually there's some space to even if the decision is very clear get some get some thoughts out there of what you want the c-section to look like um do Mm -hmm. you want your music playing do you want your partner there um do you want a clear drape like usually there's time for some of that like informed decision making throughout throughout the process. Um, And with almost all other medical interventions, there is the option to wait. I see this a lot of times with doctors coming around um, during their rounds and asking to break somebody's water of like people feel like, oh, because the doctor is right here in front of me right now, this is my only time that I have the option for this to happen. Versus mm-hmm. you could ask to wait and you could call them back in at any point to come, you know, to come break your water or have the hospitalist on floor do it or something like that. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's an option um, to call them back in later or just say, hey, go do your rounds on the next two people and then come back and then we can have a discussion. And sometimes you just need that time away from the doctor and feeling like somebody's listening to you and stuff to talk with your partner, to talk with your doula and to formulate uh, your thoughts on it and to formulate questions that you want to ask about it. Because a lot of times if somebody's standing over you, you're like, I know I have questions about this or I'm unsure about this, but I don't even know what they are. So, okay, just do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead of taking a step back and then the second you start having a conversation with your spouse or your doula, and they start talking about what that looks like. You're like, oh, I have all these questions that I want to ask or or stuff like that. And so I think waiting is such an important part of advocacy is giving yourself space to think. Yeah. And when you are in that moment where you feel like you you need to ask questions, but you're not really sure how to ask them or what to ask, especially if you feel like you're, you know, on the other side where you feel like you're being pressured which, mm-hmm. you know, is not a fun place to be. Nope. Um, there's a few things that I typically like to teach, and that is, is there any reason why? So asking, you know, is there any reason why we need to do X, Y, or Z? And that could be as simple as, mm-hmm. you know, 
someone telling you to get in the bed when you're standing up and you don't want to because you're comfortable where you're at. Like, is there any reason why I need to get in the bed? It just gives you more information um, to understand a little bit where that request or that recommendation is coming from. Um, The other one is tell me more. So tell me more Mm -hmm. about what you're seeing. Um, Tell me more about that intervention. What's that going to look like? What is the process for that? What else am I um, agreeing to kind of, you know, yep. where we've talked about Knowing that what before comes with that intervention. Yep. A hundred percent. That's yeah. something and that then, I don't think a lot of people realize is how much intervention, like what interventions come with other interventions. So they're like, okay, let's start a low drip of Pitocin because labor slowed down. Then they don't realize that that means they have to be hooked up to IV. And then that means that they have to be on the monitors 24-7. And then they don't realize that that means if baby's having D-cells, like this is what happens. And so Mm -hmm. um, having those conversations and getting those those thoughts before you do it and then are like learning about what has to come with that is so, so important. Yeah, for sure. And I alluded to this one already, but um, tell me what you're seeing. So what are you seeing? Are you seeing that Mm -hmm. my blood pressure is elevated? Are you seeing that my baby's heart rate's not doing well? You know, it just gives you more information so you feel more confident in agreeing to or declining whatever they're Mm -hmm. requesting or recommending. So those are just some a few easy ways to kind of get more information without – you know, going into that fight or flight and just being like, well, I don't want to do that or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And you start arguing or getting angry mm-hmm. or shutting down or whatever. Yeah, and it's good for partners to have that too, because sometimes it is the partner um, using these phrases and trying to get more information Absolutely. for you as the birthing person. Yep. It's even better if it's the partner. Honestly, I feel like it helps mm-hmm. you be able to be in that birth space. And then also, like, when I'm working as a doula with a partner who's very vocal, it helps take the pressure off of me because there's already that um, kind of, you know, not all nurses and doctors have this, but this perceived polarization between doulas and nurses and doctors. And sometimes nurses and doctors are looking for reasons to be annoyed at you as a doula, to be to look mm-hmm. for you stepping out of your place or getting in their way or whatever that then disrupts the relationship. And I like I don't care if you want me to be the person stepping into that space. I work for you and only you, which is the benefit of a doula. And I don't care if that doctor or that nurse is going to be annoyed and upset at me if it's going to make your your birth better. Um, but mm-hmm. I do find that sometimes the nurses and the doctors are less argumentative when it comes from a partner or a spouse saying it. They're a lot more just like, okay, that's you know, it's your guys' births. Like they're more respectful because it's their client and their patients talking versus like somebody that they perceive as somebody that they kind of like argue back and forth with a little bit um and so Mm -hmm. so that's really great when partners i recently saw a reel i wish i could give them credit for it i don't know if you saw this but it was a tick it was a podcast and a guy was asking talking about the birth of his baby and he was saying that their midwife told them like your job is to be the protector of like the cave like so like oh like the women are kind of going to be in like the cave like the it's just like an analogy like there's a cave that she's giving birth in and it's like the women are really the ones who are like knowledgeable about helping 
her work through the birth and what positions to do and what coping techniques and like your job as the partner, you know, if we're considering a heterosexual relationship is to be like the protector of the cave, to protect that space, to make sure people aren't coming in and intruding and um, screwing up her ambiance and what she needs like to get to the other side of that birth. Because I think a lot of dads have that like protector energy and but they don't know where to put it or they want to be helpful like they want to Mm -hmm. help and help their wife get to the other side of like the birth of their baby um and in that they want to be like the ones like helping with like you know the coping mechanisms which is great if they want to be Mm -hmm. um but also a lot of times it is the nurses and the doulas and the women in that space who have that that ancestral knowledge of how to help, you know, who have been there and can really help emotionally and physically walk another woman through that experience. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so helpful as a doula when a dad naturally steps into that protector energy space and can kind of like make sure she has everything she needs, make sure there's not people in the environment that are setting off of her energy and everything. I think that that's always a really good, a really good like, place that we that we can get into and kind of like where roles are really well informed and of course not every not every couple is the same and has the same personalities and stuff but when that kind of works out it's really great um one that I wanted to talk about and I wish I talked about this before this one is how childbirth education can help you with advocacy by knowing what the policies and procedures are and knowing what comes next so like knowing Mm -hmm. that after triage you're going to get hooked up to monitors and that you can ask for intermittent monitoring at that point. So like in triage, they're going to want to do like a 20 minute strip to make sure baby's doing okay. Well, once we get checked into our room is when they're going to put you on the monitoring system that you're then going to be on for the rest of labor. So whether that's wireless monitors or intermittent monitoring or continuous fetal monitoring, um, those like getting ahead of those decisions and knowing that those decisions are going to be happening next is so important because then you can talk to your nurse and doctor about it before it's like a confrontational thing. So like if you can ask Mm -hmm. in triage, hey, I know, say this, is it like partner and their wife? Like, hey, I know on her birth plan that she wants intermittent monitoring and she's a low-risk pregnancy as long as baby's doing well, that's what we would like. Um, Being able to ask for that before they bring her into the room and hook her up to the fetal monitors and tell her to get in bed is so such an easier conversation than them hooking her up and then saying, um, wait, no, we want an intermittent monitoring. You need to get her off those monitors or you need to go mm-hmm. get the wireless monitors and charge them. That comes off way more argumentative than getting ahead of the conversation and the decision. I do this all the time with pushing. There's one hospital in particular in our area where they pretty much do everything to manipulate people to be on their back during pushing. And so I try to have a lengthy conversation between the nurse and my client and the doctor if they're in the room about, I say to my client, what are you wanting for pushing? What positions are you wanting to utilize? Opening up that conversation before they're breaking down the bed and putting her feet in stirrups because then it's like a, whoa, 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 let's get this bed back together. What are you Mm -hmm. guys doing? Don't manipulate my client's body without her consent. That's then the conversation instead of a, let's open up this conversation to talk about what positions we might want to utilize in pushing. And then they all can give their insight. Our client can talk about what she wants. You're directing it back to your client. And then if they disagree with any of it, there's time and space for your client to decide if it's still important to her to push in certain positions or not, and then have time and space to stand up for herself instead of her being in the vulnerable position of, 
okay, I need to start pushing and they're all doing these things to my body and now I need to fight them while I'm trying to push out a baby. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's super um, important. And, so, and, and that's yeah. where, you know, having a birth plan or your birth preferences or whatever you want to call it um, kind of put together, discussed mm-hmm. with your provider ahead of time is also yeah. really helpful. And it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. perfect. It just, you just need something um, that you can hand yeah. over to your care team, to your provider to say, to kind of address the things that are really, really important to you. Now we mm-hmm. talk about this all the time. Like when you do a birth plan or something, like you don't need to address every single thing possible because the longer it is, the less chance there is that someone's actually going to read it and pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. But if you have things that are very, very important to you, like pushing, like, um, you know, newborn care procedures, like vaccines and delayed Mm -hmm. cord clamping and skin to skin and, you know, all the other stuff, monitoring, IVs, medications, Mm -hmm. those things are the things that you really need to highlight on um, your birth plan. So I know that we work with our clients to to make sure that they have something to go into the hospital with Mm -hmm. um, and to discuss with their provider ahead of time. But it is a good thing to have um, kind of ready to open up the conversation. I highly recommend if you're, you know, really wanting somebody else to step into the advocacy space for you, um, which I would recommend like a doula or a partner versus yourself, um, to have that birth plan in sequential order, which we do a lot of times with our clients. So like what is kind of stuff that you want everybody to know off the top of your head, off the top, you know, of like, do you want informed consent around all procedures? Are you wanting limited cervical checks? Are you not wanting an IV? Like those big things that like are going to be things that you want people to know the moment you get into the hospital, especially in triage, um, that maybe you want out of the norm or you just want people to know about you. Um, that's really important. And then mm-hmm. you want to go into laboring preferences, what do you want for what do you want for laboring? Um, what kind of comfort measures do you want to use, medical or non-medical? Um, do you want do you want a lot of cervical checks? Do you want words of encouragement? Like what do you think will be helpful to you during the experience? Then um, going into pushing preferences and then after birth preferences, um, I think is really it's a lot easier for people. Like if you want your partner to advocate for you to be able to kind of like go down the list to what the next step is, look at what the next step is in the birth and then like get ahead of it with conversations with Mm -hmm. your providers and make sure that they're all on the same page, um, I think is really helpful. Yeah. And if things kind of start to veer away from what you want, it's Mm -hmm. a good tool to kind of revisit for both the staff and your partner, whoever it is advocating for you to be like, okay, like I know that she put this on her birth plan, you know, can we look at that again together just to make sure that we're kind of keeping all that at the forefront? Yeah. It's another way to navigate. Like advocacy really looks like as doulas making space for those conversations and those questions. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. times we just, a lot of times I ask, and this is something a partner could do also, I ask a lot of leading questions because like, so for example, I may give an example of a client recently. Mm-hmm. I had a client that was on Pitocin, the highest level of Pitocin for over five hours with no cervical change. And like, I was just like, I've never seen a provider do something like this in my life. So like I, you know, on one hand, I'm like, I'm not a provider. I was not trained on how to facilitate Pitocin. 
But as someone who's attended a lot of births and seen a lot of people on Pitocin, this is standing out to me as something abnormal that could cause my client harm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell her, this is ridiculous. Your doctor shouldn't have you on this much Pitocin. But I was asking questions to the nurse and then eventually asked her to have the doctor come in and talk to my client about it to try to have leading questions about where is this going? If we're on max pit and nothing is happening, where is this going? Um, I, I quite literally asked the doctor, what is the end game? What's the mm-hmm. plan? Other than a C-section, is there a plan in this? Because you can't stand max Pitocin for forever. It's dangerous. You could have, you know, yeah. increase your risk of postpartum hemorrhage. So I was asking those questions to her. And in the end, you know, she answered those questions to, to, to my dismay, not very well. And pretty much was like, <laughs> well, we're just going to keep doing this until something tells us not to do it. She decided to move forward with the doctor's plan, which was continue pit, but put in an internal monitor to track to see how strong her contractions are. So in the end, about an hour or two later, she had excessive bleeding and went in for an emergency C-section. Pretty much, you know, what, what I probably expected. But in asking questions and holding that space, she didn't feel like it was traumatic, like it was a rushed experience, all that stuff, because she felt like she had informed decision-making along the way and felt like she followed her gut as to what she thought was going to be the best choice, which was continue Pitocin and try to get to a vaginal birth. So my, <laughs> my point is, is that when you see things that are like red flags to you, I think this is where a lot of people, a lot of doulas get wrong. And also a lot of people have the wrong impression of doulas is that we're going to be arguing with doctors. But I think what's at, what's the most important thing as a doula, because we're not the ones with the medical knowledge is asking questions and leading questions not to get to the answer you want as a doula, but to try to get the doctor to say what you see happening. So like mm-hmm. instead of telling your client what or your or your partner or whatever, what you see happening because you're not the medical the medical individual in the room, asking those leading questions of the medical doctor to get the medical doctor to give you the full information as to what is their thought process? What do they see coming down the road as this continues you know what I mean like in this plan of care Mm -hmm. what do they see as the next steps as what is going to happen because you don't always see that as someone in labor yeah and I know that for a lot of our clients they do a lot of them and not everyone's like this but they want to know the moment you see something going not well yeah or not the way we want want it to go they want to know about it and a lot of times in the hospital it's not shared unless yeah. you ask. And so same mm-hmm. thing, putting that expectation out there at the at the beginning of the experience instead of being like, well, I wish you would have told me that, you know, yeah. just setting clear expectations. Like as my nurse, as my medical care team, I want to know the moment something does not look right, the moment you are anticipating something else, like another intervention, I want to know so I have the time before it's an emergency to think about it, talk through the alternatives, talk through the risks and benefits, all of that. Um, Because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times it is like nurses are seeing things, whether it be with baby's heart rate or mom's blood pressure or whatever, and you can just kind of feel that they're seeing something that they're concerned about, but they're not actually Mm -hmm. saying it. Like they're starting to do your blood pressure more. 
They're starting to come in your room more. They're starting to look at baby more, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, Mm -hmm. can you just tell me? Um, Because a lot of times that them not saying anything just causes more anxiety. Yep. Or it takes away that time that you have to to get mm-hmm. information to make an informed consent decision when the you know emergency or urgent matter arises. You're taking away that time that you don't have then now to discuss with your spouse what you want if this happens or that happens and, and stuff like that. And so I think that's why it's so important to write something like that on your birth plan. Like, hey, I want to stay informed and I want to know what's happening and what you're seeing and stuff. Um, because because some people don't. Some people truly want to like not know, like it makes them anxious. They don't want to know that stuff. But if that's something that you're wanting the space to advocate for yourself and to have these conversations with your provider, I think it's important to hear that stuff, to know that stuff early on. And also know that that doesn't mean that that's going to happen. So like, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that, because they're seeing weird heart rate stuff with your baby that you're going to have a C-section or you're going to need a vacuum delivery. But knowing it early on that that's a possibility will make it a lot less scary because you've had a little bit of time to wrap your head around it and what it's going to look like or what you want in that experience versus if it's like the first time you're hearing about it is as it's happening to you is a lot scarier. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't so have to be – I kind of want to – No, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was no, just going to say, you don't have to be stoic topic, in so those moments. Okay. You don't have to be stoic in those mm-hmm. moments. So like uh, sometimes it is scary. It's scary to hear those things. Um, and it does cause you to have an emotional response and that's okay. It's okay to let mm-hmm. those emotions flow and let them out. Um, totally. Because in the long run, you will feel better that you knew. Even like it's it's it serves you better to hear it mm-hmm. and process those emotions as they come than to just yep. be surprised by it in the end. Totally. I know we've had totally. that. We've had that with our clients before where we're like, yeah. it's okay if you're going to cry. Like it's okay Not. if this feels scary. And sometimes it's good to get that emotional release in labor, to just like cry mm-hmm. and have that release because of the pent up emotions and there's a lot going on. And sometimes it's just really good to have that release. And then sometimes things progress after that or you feel better after that or you feel calmer mm-hmm. after that. It's not like bad to cry or to be upset or angry about something that's happening. Um, sometimes those yeah. emotions are good to get out. Um, so I kind of wanted to chat about now, you know, we kind of talk non-confrontational stuff. This so and now I want to kind of talk about like worst case scenario, you are a doula or a partner witnessing like obstetrical abuse or non-consensual touch or something like that to your patient and this is or your client or your partner or whatever. This is one of the main thing. This is this was the main experience I had that drove me into advocacy work. Is I luckily only one time so far in like 70 plus births have seen a provider touch my client in a way that was not talked about, non-consensual, really made me uncomfortable. And I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know what to say. My client had an epidural. I don't think she knew what was like happening or what kind of touch was happening. And I didn't want to like embarrass her and like say something or yell at the doctor or whatever. And it was just a very uncomfortable situation. I didn't know what to do. And this is really, that was one of the main things that like led me into 
learning about advocacy. And so, so worst case scenario, kind of the method that I, that I use, and I've used this for things that aren't as bad as that one experience that I had is calling out what you're seeing happening in the space. So like, instead of telling the doctor, don't touch her, stop doing that, like whatever, calling out what you see happening. So like some of my clients, for example, um, don't want perineal massage during the birth of their baby. And so lots of providers, you have an epidural, a provider might be doing perineal massage and you don't even know or don't feel it. Or you just feel like it's such a vulnerable position that you don't have the capacity to say like, please stop touching my vagina. Like when your feet are in straps and your legs are up and you're numb, you might not feel like you have that like capacity and that vulnerable moment to say something. So something mm-hmm. I use as a, as a doula is just stating, hey, the doctor is doing perineal massage right now. I know you didn't necessarily want that. Are you okay with that? Or do you want them to stop? And usually that makes the provider uncomfortable enough, like kind of call them out a little bit that they were doing something without your consent, that they'll kind of pause, go back and be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was on your birth plan or kind of, you know, whatever. But it also gives you space then to speak up for yourself like because you might have not felt comfortable just saying something but if somebody like asks you directly if you're okay with something or mentions that that is what is happening um then it gives you the space and time and energy to be like oh yeah no I didn't want that kind of like an an out to kind of make a comment about it um instead of having to be the one who's like confrontationally yelling at somebody that is the one like delivering your baby in that moment Mm -hmm. yeah and I, I mean, yeah. you can use that in so many situations, even with, you know, oh, pushing like you described earlier, you know, they're automatically breaking the bed down and everything's moving really fast and they're getting ready and talking them through that. Like, okay, they broke the bed down. They want you on your back. How do you feel about that? You know, is there yeah. something, is there something else, a different position you want to be in? Or is there something that can make you more comfortable or, you know, whatever, um, yeah. As things are happening, kind of just being like talking them through each thing that's happening and how are you feeling about that? Is there something you want to do differently um, to give them a chance mm-hmm. to to say something? Yep. Yeah, totally. Totally. And so that's, that's something I think is such a good skill for part for partners to also know mm-hmm. and just saying that they can – because sometimes you're in your own little world. Like when you're giving birth, most of the time mm-hmm. you're kind of in your own little yeah. world. So lots of times you're seeing things happening in the room that the person giving birth is not seeing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just calling out those things and mentioning them and drawing them to the attention of the person who's giving birth um, is so important for for that advocacy, that advocacy um, um, piece and letting them have the space to talk for themselves, kind of wrapping it back to the beginning of we are not the ones going to make that decision for you because maybe your decision changed. Maybe now you don't Mm -hmm. mind giving birth on your back. Maybe now you don't mind getting perineal massage. So like, I'm not going to say, don't do that. She doesn't want that because maybe she does. Um, Mm -hmm. But giving, calling out and giving you the space to recognize those things and then and then make that decision for yourself um, instead of other people making that decision for you is is kind of where the advocacy side of doula work comes into play yeah so real quick before we finish up let's talk about we kind of talked about this a little bit here and there mm-hmm. but building your supportive team 
whatever that looks like. So we, yeah, obviously we are doulas. We would love if everyone has a doula, but we're not going to sit here and tell you that you need to have a doula in order to have a good experience. Um, well, and but what you just not accessible to a lot of people right. based on where they live, finances, exactly. all of those things. We recognize yeah, that. We know that. We know that. So, but what is important is building a team that is supportive. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, whatever that looks like for you. So a partner or a family member that you're going to have with you in the birth space, a provider that you feel really comfortable with. We talked about switching providers. So expect more than just the bare minimum. So if you have a provider and you're like, oh, I trust them to, you know, get me and my baby through this and, you know, safely. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the bare minimum. So, you know, expect more than the bare minimum from your provider. Find somebody that you feel supported by, uh, that you feel comfortable talking to. Um, And then, you know, just also find other professionals for postpartum. You know, build that during Mm -hmm. pregnancy so you have lactation, pelvic floor physical therapy, you know, whatever you have access to building that community um, to kind of surround you um, through your experience. And that looks different for everybody. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. But I do. And I do think kind of like you said earlier too, like having those people in your corner helps you get the most too out of your prenatal care of mm-hmm. having, if you have a, a Webster certified Cairo that you're, ta- that you're going to and a lactation control stuff, like you then have somebody to bounce ideas off of, to gather questions, to gather insight as to what is normal or typical or questions you should be asking or things you should be thinking about that helps you then get the most out of your medical care and your birth experience because you have those other thoughts and opinions coming into play that help shape your view of the things that you should be asking and looking for during your pregnancy, your birth, and your postpartum experience. So like, you know, Mm -hmm. even postpartum, like having a lactation consultant that can point out things that then you could ask your pediatrician about like that have to do with your maybe your baby's super gassy or colicky or something like your lactation consultant might be able to point out things that might be causing that or that are abnormal about your experience that then you can bring up to your doctor. Um, and so it really can help just build that team around you. And I and I also think that a lot of people when we're talking about accessibility, a lot of people also don't realize how how accessible these resources can actually be to a mm-hmm. lot of people. So lots of lactation cover services are covered by insurance, seeing lactation consultants. Um, lots of chiropractic care is covered by insurance, or you can use like FSA money. You can use FSA money for doula care, um, for postpartum doula care, for birth doula care, um, for pelvic floor PT, things like that. Um, you and can actually submit for, some, sorry, you can submit for reimbursement. A lot of yeah, times. and a lot of actually, um, some some states are now um, covering doula care with Medicaid or paying for programs in cities for free doula care and stuff. Um, there's a lot of nonprofits as well as doulas like us. We have a scholarship program um, that we have a lot of clients go through who can't pay full price for doula services. Um, so looking at those resources in community and not being afraid to use them during your experience, I think is so important because a lot of those resources are actually underutilized because people are, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
feel like they shouldn't need them or um, feel like they should be able to pay for them or feel bad using them or just don't know that they exist. Um, And so really taking time to educate yourself and learn about that stuff. And honestly, like working with a doula can help you know a lot of those resources that are free or lower cost in your community um, because a lot of doulas have knowledge about those things in the area too. Yeah, I was just going to say, even though it might be outside of the expertise of whatever professional you're seeing. So if you're seeing, you know, a chiropractor throughout your pregnancy and you're, you know, Mm -hmm. you're needing help with lactation or something like that, a lot of times they have people that they recommend to, that they refer to. And so – or they have other people they can ask. So it's just a whole network. So – don't shy away from asking for those things, even though it might not be the expertise of that specific person. Because more often than not, yes, as, just like doulas, we can kind of navigate that mm-hmm. and connect you with who you need to be connected with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so. honestly, as a doula, like it was going into my second pregnancy already as a doula, I knew so much more resource that were avail- resources that were available to me mm-hmm. postpartum with my second baby that I just – didn't even like I didn't know that you could get lactation services through insurance with my first baby yeah. and that would have been probably like a game changer for me with my first baby um instead I was just afraid to mention that I had any breastfeeding issues because I was afraid somebody would tell me to stop breastfeeding so I just like mm-hmm. didn't do anything about it until it just kind of resolved itself over time um and so so yeah so I think that you know once you get we're in this world 24 7 so sometimes we feel like people know all the things in this world that are available to them but it's so important important that you, you know, that you realize that there's all these resources probably in your space um, that you can, that you can get access to. And even if you don't, if you live in a small town and you don't have a lactation consultant in your area, there's so many lactation consultants we work with that do online hour, hour and a half long appointments and stuff Mm -hmm. that if your insurance covers lactation care, you can do online virtual appointments, things like that, and still get all those resources and help. There's still so much they can do from afar to help you. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of opportunity for virtual appointments. Um, oh, yeah. And a lot of, you know, I do virtual childbirth education, and then I know uh-huh. uh, therapists that do virtual appointments for therapy. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's just so many options out there, more so now than there really probably ever has been. Oh, yeah. I know some so, like perinatal mental health therapists and birth trauma therapists that are 100% online um, mm-hmm. and just do their work online. So as long as you live in their state where they're licensed, you can you can work with them. And so, yeah, I think that's really important for people to know, especially in America where we have a lot of maternity care deserts and spaces mm-hmm. where there aren't a lot of resources for people giving birth, um, just to know what is available to them if they seek it out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I hope this episode kind of gives you that, you know, if you were struggling to advocate for yourself, it gives you the confidence and some tools that you can really use to kind of embrace that role. And um, if you have partners that are planning to support you through birth or, you know, the early stages of motherhood, send this Mm -hmm. to them and share it with them so they can glean a little bit of insight on how to advocate for you in this space. But um, yeah, absolutely. Thanks yeah. for listening. Well, thank- thanks for hanging out yeah, with us. Thanks so much for talking <laughs> about this with me, Allie. This is why I love having you, Morgan, on my team because we just – 
believe in this stuff all all the same and and you know believe in advocating for our clients and that's so important to me so so thank yeah. you for being a part of my of my team thanks for having me this way thanks also, for having yeah. me <laughs> so yeah i hope this is helpful to people and we will see you guys next week yep see you next week guys Thanks for joining us this week on Moms in the Middle. If you like this episode, make sure to leave us a review and hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts in order to receive notifications on new episodes. If you want to follow us on social media, check out our show notes for links to our profiles. Have a great week and we'll catch you in the middle next time.